some of those old hymns need a bit more puff than, than the modern ones. Um, it's all right for you. You don't have to give a sermon just now. Let's pray together. Bold, I approach the eternal throne and claim a crown through Christ my own. Lord, it's incredible what you've done for us and what you offer us in Jesus Christ. Lord, be with us now as we take a a few moments together to think on these words that Jesus spoke and to see what they might have to say to each one of us here today. Help us to hear you and to take it to heart what you say. Amen. It's a Saturday morning. Um, You're at home having a lazy breakfast. You have a cup of coffee and you have the newspaper. And then you hear that noise. When you first hear it, you're not sure what it is, but then uh, your your mind soon tells you. It's a sort of a, a rustle, clatter, and flap. It's the, the rustle as the postman tries to force the mail through the draft excluder in your letterbox. It's the flap or, or the, 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 the clatter as the, the noisy box shuts closed and the flap as the mail slaps onto the floor below. You gather in the mail and it's the usual mix of stuff really. It's um, some that are immediately recognizable as bills, um, lots of junk mail, um, advertising all sorts of things from half price seven up to cheap electronics. And then you see something else that looks a little bit more personal uh, and you immediately prioritize it and, and start with it. You open it and you realize that it's an invitation to a party. As soon as we open any invitation, almost subconsciously, we start to filter it. Uh, And maybe when I talk about this, you'll know what I mean. Uh, We respond very naturally in one way or the other. We're excited, and hopefully most of the invitations you get are like this. You open the invitation and you're excited. You see that there's a date there for the calendar. You put it in the calendar. You make whatever arrangements you need to make so that you can go. You're excited and you want to take up the invitation. But sometimes we get an invitation in the post. And truth be told, we don't fancy it. Tell me if I'm wrong. No? Okay. Sometimes we get an invitation and we don't fancy it. Either we don't really like the people who have sent out the invitation, we we just don't fancy the idea of spending time in their company, or we look at the event that they have planned and we think, oh goodness, I have a million things better to do than to go along to that. We start thinking up our excuses, and we certainly don't put it in the diary or plan to get ourselves along. How we receive any invitation depends on our view of the person who's inviting us and our sense of what it is they're inviting us to. This parable that Jesus tells here is about an invitation. 
So have it open before, me, before you, please, because uh, I am going to be pointing to it and, and working with that text for the next few minutes. Page 990, Matthew chapter 22. Page 990, Matthew chapter 22, the first verses of that chapter. The first few verses of our passage set the scene for everything that's going to follow. So there's a king having a banquet to celebrate his son's wedding. I see Hannah's here today. Hannah will be married later this week. So Hannah will be in the zone when we're talking here today and we'll understand. There's a lot going on behind what we're told there in in verse 2. That simple announcement that there's going to be a, a wedding and a banquet You know, the men in the congregation, they read that quickly and just pass over it. But the women know there's a whole world in behind there uh, of of work being done. The minister needs to be booked early. The church caretaker needs to know about the arrangements and how to open up the building. The the wedding present list needs to be sorted properly. Otherwise, we're going to end up with, with too much cut glass in China that we just don't want. The guest list has to be drawn up with with great care, making sure that nobody's left out uh, and that the right people are invited. Then the invitations need to be sent out. There's the flowers, the order of service, the organist, the band, the soloist. And that's before we even mention the the respective bucks and and hens night. So if you haven't been involved in organizing a wedding recently, have a word with Hannah later, but take it from me. There's, There's a lot going on. Uh, behind these verses. What we've said so far would apply to to pretty much any message, but notice who it is that's getting married in Jesus' story. It's the crown prince, the king's son. This is a royal wedding. The king's son is being married. The king's throwing a banquet. I, I want you to imagine just for a moment what it would be like if one of those invitations landed on your front doorstep. It would be so exciting and would just love to be there. An invitation to the wedding of the year of the decade. There's a lot that we're going to think about in this parable, but just I want you to pause with me for one moment. Because this, this wedding feast story that Jesus is telling us, he tells us right at the outset that it's a parable of the kingdom. It's a parable that tells us something more about life in the kingdom of God. Jesus wants us, as we hear this story, to understand life with God better. Look at verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is like a king preparing a wedding banquet for his son. Think about that for a second. Life in the kingdom is supposed to be like a, a party, a joyful event, a celebration. That's how Jesus, God among us, chooses to illustrate life with God. Is that your experience of life with God? Is that your experience of growing up in the church? Is that what people are thinking when they drive past Kirkpatrick Memorial on a Sunday morning and they see us shuffling in? Are they thinking, those guys are so lucky. They, they get to celebrate and to, to, to enter into a, a party, an eternal party with God. Is that what people think Christian living is all about? Celebration is a spiritual discipline. We are not partying enough, is my guess. So in his book, Richard Foster, on celebration of discipline, he says, celebration is at the heart of the way of Christ. 
He entered the world on a high note of jubilation. I bring you good news of great joy, cried the angel. He left the world passing on his joy to his disciples. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The kingdom of heaven is like a party. I wonder, have we captured that aspect of life with God? I was living in Canada in 1998 during the time that preparations were being made for our wedding. So I can still remember speaking to Claire on the phone in the last few weeks running up to the wedding after the invitations had been sent out and before the wedding actually happened. And she was growing more and more excited. With every phone call, she would tell me of more people who had replied to say that they would be able to come to the wedding. And that's exactly what a host wants. Because of the joy of the event, and when you add to that the the work that they have put in and the planning and their desire to to create a a perfect day, all the host wants is for the guests to come. That's how this gathering works. The the host wants the guests to be there to enjoy a wonderful celebration. And when you you look then back to our story, the, the next things that we read become very stark. Our guests don't want to come. We read in verse 3 that when the king sent out his servants to gather the guests in, they refused to come. This must be heartbreaking for the king. They don't want to celebrate with me the marriage of my son. So what does a king do? Well, look at verse 4. Rather than being offended and, and turning away from them, he goes back to them again. He tries again. He makes sure that the guests know that everything's ready, and the message goes out, my oxen and the fatted cattle have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. It's as good as saying, listen guys, hurry up. The food's on the table. Don't delay. But in verse 5, we we soon realize that, that it doesn't make any difference. It falls on deaf ears. And it's at this point that the excuses start to surface. One of the guests, one of the invited guests was a farmer. He wanted to stay on the farm to see just how much money he had made from this year's crops. Another was an accountant. And he knew that because it was round about the the time of the financial year end, he was just far too busy to pull himself away from his work to celebrate with the king. These guys clearly aren't too excited about the king. They have no great love for the king's son. They're happy enough to miss the party, happy enough to continue as if no invitation had ever come out. If we read on in the story, we see that some of the guests didn't stop with excuses. Look at verse 6. Some of them were so against the king that they ill-treated and they killed the king's servants. By now, with this story taking a very definite turn, we're beginning to realize that Jesus is again referring to the Jewish authorities to whom he's speaking at this point. These Jewish authorities who've rejected God's work among them. If you were here last week, you'll know that David guided us through the latter parts of chapter 21. In, in, that, in, in that 
material, we find Jesus encountering the Jewish religious leaders and they're opposed to him pretty much at every turn. So Jesus responds by telling them in three parables. We looked at the first two last week. The parable of two sons. And Jesus, if, if you flick back, you'll, you'll see it there uh, halfway through chapter 21. The parable of two sons. Jesus seemed to be saying, listen guys, it doesn't matter what kind of a start you make, whether you look like the kind of person who's on the right track. What matters is how you carry through. And again, he's challenging these Jewish religious leaders who thought they were right before God and who looked down on other people. In the second parable, the parable of the tenants, Jesus points to the Jews' rejection of God's prophets and how they will eventually kill his son. And he talks about how these, these tenants are thrown out of the vineyard and others are invited in to take over the vineyard. So, so both of those stories have hinted or, or even explicitly talked about how the Jewish leaders had rejected Jesus and others were going to take their place in the kingdom of God. Well, if that, those first couple of stories carry a sobering message, then this third one in the trilogy, in a sense, goes a step for, further. Jesus tells us what, that when the king hears the news that his servants have been ill-treated, he, he sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Folks, if you know anything much about the history of, of Israel uh, round about this time, you'll know that Jesus' story turned out to be prophetic for the people of that time. Within one generation, in AD 70, Israel, or Jerusalem sorry, was razed to the ground by a Roman army. This city, whose leaders had rejected Jesus, faced the punishment that Jesus talks about here. Folks, the king's reaction here, I, when I first read this, it jarred on me a little bit, if I'm honest. It, it seems so harsh. Uh, it seems that people who have simply refused an invitation are, are now being, being treated very, very harshly and, and being punished. A couple of things that, that helped me to understand this a little bit better. First of all, the, the Jewish customs of Jesus' day, these guests had already agreed to come to this wedding. The way it worked in those days is that an initial invitation went out. Uh, those who responded positively were then on the final list, if you like. And, and then at the time of the wedding, the, the host sent out his servants to bring in the guest. So these, these people illustrated in this story, they have already agreed to be part of this, but they've gone back on an earlier agreement. So in a sense, that changes the relationship between the host and the invited guests. The second important thing to notice here is that the, king, the, the host is a king. So when the king invites you to his son's wedding, that, that's a huge honor. Uh, and people would generally want to respond positively. I, I, would, I would suggest that, that refusing a king's invitation speaks volumes uh, about your relationship with that king and how much of a, a loyal subject you really are. We've already thought today about this wonderful reality that God's kingdom is a, is a place of celebration and of fullness of life. But here, just at this moment, we're struck by a, 
a complementary, a second reality. And that is that life outside the kingdom is a place of judgment and of death. Folks, this is one of those moments where if I am to be true to God's word as we read it here, if I'm to be a faithful messenger, minister of the gospel here, then I must ask you to consider God's judgment. It's writ large in this story. God has gone to great lengths to create each one of us. He went much, much further still, sending Jesus to the cross to save us when we had rebelled against him. If we choose to reject God, we, we reject the one who's given us life. If we choose to reject Jesus Christ, we reject the one who, who gave his life to rescue us from death. Folks, God is full of mercy and grace. His kingdom's a place of celebration and fullness of life. But let me put it to you like this. In the end, God will not force himself on us. He won't force a single soul to come into that banquet, into that feast, into that fullness of life to receive Jesus. If we choose to reject him, he allows that. And rejecting the life giver always results in death. Back to our story and the wedding banquet. All the guests who'd been invited initially to the the wedding chose not to come. What what does the king do? He starts from scratch and he draws up a, a totally new guest list. It's not the most carefully thought out guest list. We read in verse 9 that the servants are ordered to invite anyone you find. The servants, they're sent out into the streets, it says, to bring in new guests. And the Greek word translated here, streets, means sort of the, 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 the back streets, the, the fringe parts of the city, not, not the center where the action is and the beautiful people are, but that place on the edge of the city where the beggars gather and where the tramps live. The big shots have missed out on invitation to the banquet and the beggars and the tramps are now those who are invited. Can you imagine their amazement to be invited to to the the wedding banquet of the son of the king? Folks, remember what's going on here. This is Jesus telling a story about the, the kingdom of God. Jesus is telling this story to tell us who's going to God's party and who's not. Those who don't want to come won't be there. Simple. As that. Jesus will never force anyone to celebrate his son. But, but here's the incredible and wonderful news of the gospel. It's those who never in a million years thought they'd be invited who are going to be there. It's the guys who've 
who've not been invited to any party of any description for a very long time, they're the ones who are going to be there. The king sends out his servants and he says, go and bring in anyone you can find. Anyone, regardless of their status. Doesn't matter if they have a tertiary level education or not. They're welcome in the kingdom. Doesn't matter if they're higher rate taxpayers and what their postcode is. Doesn't matter. They're welcome in the kingdom. Anyone you can find. The invitation is for all. I may be the king, it may be my son, but all are welcome here. I don't know. Maybe the servants took the king too literally. We're told in verse 10 that they gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad. Surely, surely if Jesus' stories to illustrate anything about the kingdom of God, we don't want bad people at the party. Does God want bad people at the wedding banquet of his son, Jesus Christ? Yes, yes, a million times yes. That, that's exactly what God wants. This is, the, this, is the, this is why the gospel's good news. Because it doesn't wait for, for people to be deserving. It doesn't wait for them to have rank or wealth. It doesn't wait for them to be good. Life with God isn't for good people. Folks, the truth is that nobody deserves to come to a party like this. But all may come if they're willing. Wealth doesn't matter. Status, morality, all are welcome in the kingdom of God. Folks, everything we've thought about there is probably relatively apparent from the passage that we've read so far this morning. But it's at this point that Jesus drops his bombshell. Let's read together verses 11 to 14. Matthew always included these as part of what Jesus said on that occasion. But I purposely left them out earlier because I wanted to try with you to to regain some of the sense of shock that the initial hearers would have had. Let's read it together. But when the king came in to see the guests, so the banquet's now full, everybody's gathered, uh, this second batch of guests has gathered in. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. Friendly asked, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. Then the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. So in verses 11 to 13, Jesus takes us from all the build-up to the, the wedding banquet, right in to the wedding banquet itself. And in the midst of the party there, in the midst of that, that lovely, laid-back, celebratory atmosphere, there seems to be a problem. There's an imposter. One of the guests doesn't have the right robes on. Just to explain that, in the, the culture of Jesus' day, the, the guest was always given a robe to wear to the, the wedding banquet. 
If a person didn't have the right robes for a wedding, you could anticipate that they weren't a, a properly invited guest. I suppose like nowadays, if you went along to a banquet, they're held in a hotel. If you happened to be passing by and you were dressed in a suit, you could go in and join in for a while, uh, meet some of the guests, pass yourself off as, as part of the crowd. The moment I think you'd be caught on is when you went to take your seat at the meal and there's no seat and there's no place card. So you're able to be there and to blend in and look the part until a moment where actually it's clear that you're not who you appear to be, that you're an imposter. What's Jesus talking about here? Well, these robes in Jesus' parable, they, they talk of righteousness. And it's a major theme in all of Jesus' teaching. Those who are in the kingdom of God are to be characterized by, by a righteousness. If we claim to be members of God's kingdom, then there ought to be evidence in our lives, a, a change, a righteousness that's evident for people around us to see. So this passage acts as a warning, I think. For those of us who feel confident in our salvation, that we're definitely on the guest list, that we're fully uh, paid up members of the kingdom of God, that we're welcome at this banquet. And the story asks us to have a careful look at our lives. Am I displaying the righteousness of the kingdom? The righteousness that demonstrates that Jesus is at work in my life, that he is changing me. I might appear to be a true guest at the banquet, but, but it could be that I've just been fooling myself and lots of other people around me. Jesus tells this story, I think, to warn those who are following him. He's already warned the Jews who have rejected him. But now he's, he's warning even those who would come and follow him. He's asking them to, to keep an eye on the lives that they're living. The Jews started off being the people of God for, for his banquet and they fell from that place. Jesus is asking each one of us to take care how we live. Are we living with the righteousness of the kingdom? Verse 14 sums up the meaning of the whole parable and, and I'm almost finished. Many are invited, but few are chosen. I could preach for an hour on that alone because there's a lot of mystery there. It seems to me that what this few are chosen means is that maybe one way of describing it is to say that there's an external call that any person hears who hears the gospel message shared. If you're here this morning at an event like this, you hear a certain external call if you hear, hear, hear the call to come and respond to Jesus. But there's also an internal call where God's Spirit comes and he prompts us and he drives these things home in our hearts and he calls us to respond to him. And those two things aren't the same and not everyone who hears the external call also hears that internal call. I think it's true to say that more people hear the call to Jesus Christ than respond to it in faith. We said at the outset here this morning 
that an invitation is a way of focusing our mind. When we receive an invitation, everything depends on our view of that person who sent it and what it is they're inviting us to. Folks, I wonder how you're responding to the invitation extended to you in Jesus Christ. If you're a person who's growing to see more and more of the beauty of God, if you're a person who's growing to see more and more your, your own sinfulness and your need of Jesus Christ to save you, then you will you'll tear this invitation open. You'll, you'll cling to it and you'll say, yes, 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 Lord, I, I want to be at your banquet. If, on the other hand, you're a person who's failed to appreciate the beauty of Jesus, if you fail to, to realize how, how hopelessly lost you are without him, then, then this invitation is going to ring pretty hollow. You're going to crumple it up and throw it in the bin. You're going to continue to be preoccupied with your own business, with making money for yourself and a life for yourself. And if that's the case, if we choose to live like that, we miss out on the banquet. The host doesn't force us to come. Folks, what Jesus teaches here is is pretty stark, but it's no new teaching. The kingdom has always been about decision. You're either in or you're not. The stakes are high and the issues are eternal. My dear friends, here this morning, every single one of us has been given an invitation. We've been invited to a party. God Almighty, creator of the universe, requests the pleasure of your company at the wedding feast of his son, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Will you That's our question. Let's pray. Father God, as we consider the invitation to life in the kingdom of God, we pray that you would clear our muddled thinking and our cloudy vision. Show us the beauty of life with you, the life that Jesus won for us on the cross. Show us the utter hopelessness and emptiness of life without you, both now and in eternity. Lord, by your Spirit, show us these things. And let us respond, each one of us, to say, yes, I want to be at the party. I want to take my place in the kingdom of God. Amen.